Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one, and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and in Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, Therefore among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, for and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Loving Father, we do thank you for the reading of the scripture and ask for your blessing this afternoon as we consider this passage of scripture concerning the crucifixion of Christ and of those who desire to have him crucified and of the great love of God and the mercy of our everlasting Father unto all those that call upon his blessed Son. We thank you, Father, for the salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider this passage, and of course it is one which has been um, looked at perhaps many more times than we can imagine, we find that this account of the crucifixion as John explains it to us is one which is so familiar to us. But even the familiarity of this passage of Scripture should not diminish the importance of it to us, nor of the great love of God and of his mercy toward us by sending his Son to the world to die for our sins. It is true that man tried to do their worst and to destroy the Son of God, But in reality, it was God's own purpose and plan that brought Jesus to this place where he would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And so the very thing that the evil 
hearts of men sought to perpetrate against Jesus to destroy him was the very thing that God intended that his son should finish or should complete to the very end that he would become the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that would take away the sin of the world. That we may freely preach the gospel of Christ, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, as is explained to us in the Word of God and capsulized to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. And so we find that uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so this is a very um, solemn uh, portion of scripture as we come to it, realizing Jesus is brought to this place of suffering and death on our behalf. And of the great uh, suffering which brought with it many sorrows and a great humiliation um, upon his body and that he might go to the cross and there uh, be crucified in the Roman manner, be executed according to the Roman manner. And uh, as we, even as we read and sang Uh, the hymn this afternoon, Look and Live, uh, we realize that that particular hymn is really based upon uh, looking unto Jesus and that if one would look unto Jesus for salvation and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they should live. And of course, the type of that particular hymn being taken from John chapter 3 concerning Uh, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We find that that Old Testament miracle of God telling Moses to put a serpent on the pole and uh, um, that uh, the children of Israel who had sinned against God, that if they would but look, they could live. And God would, uh, would grant them grace if they would look upon that pole which was erected with that serpent upon it that God had sent among them to judge them. And God would send his grace. He would administer his grace and allow those to live who looked to that figure upon a pole. Now, Jesus cannot be likened to a snake, of course, a serpent. But he is likened to a savior, which he did come to be. And Jesus would come in judgment upon the earth and would judge and would condemn men in their sin if they did not turn to him. And so who do we find upon the cross but Jesus? Jesus, the one who would judge the hearts of men. Jesus, the one uh, who must be looked to if man is to find redemption. If man is to live, to, to look upon the Lord and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to live. For we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And so this, uh, this, this passage is, of course, so important to us. In fact, we find that throughout the New Testament, the resurrection is over and over and over again, given throughout many of the epistles as, as uh, a, the part of that gospel message that we cannot in any way separate from the, the true reality of knowing God, of believing and having faith. We, we come to the cross, we realize Jesus was, is there, He is crucified, He is put upon that cross, and uh, He suffers and He dies, He sheds His precious blood upon that cursed tree, and out of, out of this great humiliation and sorrow and suffering, the Lamb of God buys us, purchases for us redemption. And we are bought back out of the slave market of sin by the blood of Christ. And so we find that wherever we go in the Bible, wherever redemption is mentioned, whether it is in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, Christ becomes a central figure to the full and complete plan of redemption, that which Christ himself would say, it is finished, it is completed, it is telestai, that word means finished, completely and fully and finally forever, Christ has died for our sins. Uh, so as we consider these uh, events here, uh, let's keep these things in mind, the significance of them. Uh, four different areas we find in this passage of Scripture. First of all, they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him. And so um, let's begin, because this is a long passage anyway, we'll begin with, with verse 1 and 2 and look at that. Uh, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scorched him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Well, of course, we see there are uh, several things that are taking place here um, as Jesus is crowned with these thorns. Um, we find that uh, this crown of thorns stands out and is significant to us because, uh, it, of course, it is put upon him by mocking him. Um, he is the king of the Jews by very uh, nature of God sending him into the world. He was to be a savior. Uh, and a savior and a king, of course, we think, well, how can, how can uh, this be that Jesus is called a savior and a king, and yet he is crucified, he is mocked, he is, uh, he is brought to humiliation, he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, he, did esteem him stricken of God and smitten, as Isaiah 53, uh, that language just, it brings to us that sense of what is going on 
here in this passage of Scripture. And we find that all of this, is, of course, is very prophetic um, of what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we might ask the question, well, why would Pilate do such a thing? Well, whether it was out of exasperation toward the religious rulers of the day or just his uh, uh, particular attitude as a Roman leader that he wanted to bring humiliation upon the ones that the Jews had for a very long time admired, uh, except for the religious officers and the priests and the scribes. Of course, they didn't admire him, uh, but others did. Uh, but for whatever reason that he chose to mock Jesus in this way, and uh, one particular commentator said, well, the evil hearts of men want to perpetrate evil against the goodness of God, um, which is always seems to be the case. And so we find when man's heart is bent to do evil, it will stoop to these kinds of things. Uh, why, do, why do people who hate God burn churches? Uh, why do they want to... to uh, why does uh, a certain group of people, whether they're jihadists or, or whether they're other misinformed people, want to kill Christians and brutally um, destroy them in any way that they can? Why is that the case? Why would communism uh, care so much that Christians are somehow residing among their citizenry and want to hunt them down and to burn their crosses and symbols and ultimately to take a bulldozer and bulldoze their churches and, and to jail their pastors and, um, you know, we can go on and on the various kinds of atrocities that we see. And they happen in just about every country we can think of where evil men want to perpetrate against God uh, their demises to destroy and to hate God. And here, here we find Jesus is before Pilate, it is true. Pilate is the central figure in the authority of Rome for Jerusalem at this time for Judea. And... Uh, and so what is he? He basically gives the authority to his soldiers to do whatever they want to do to Jesus. And so they begin by scourging him, and without going into a lot of technical detail, we know that's more than just whipping uh, a victim. When the Romans scourged someone, the whips were embedded with various kinds of things that they would tear the flesh and brutally... Um, injure the person. Uh, and the injury on the outside was not nearly as bad as the injury that was taking place on the inside. Recently watched a documentary on the crucifixion of Christ and it was from a scientific viewpoint and they, sh they showed the scourging whip and they showed the various kinds of things that were embedded in the whips and, and they even did some scientific testing on animal flesh and they whipped the animal flesh and the outside of the animal flesh looked like it was well it was cut but when they peeled back the layer of the animal flesh underneath was very severely uh, lacerated the the injury the impact of the whip underneath was was looked worse than what was on the outside 
Um, of course, I'm just saying that to say this, that all of this was, was, uh, was in the authority of Pilate to do. And whatever happened to, whatever happened that led him to do that, we know that it was really more or less a part of the Roman form of, of execution to do that. And Jesus would not be spared any of these things. Now obviously, all of the victims that uh, Rome would, might, might execute would not be, they would not place a crown of thorns on the victim's head nor would they put a purple robe on him. These were unique characteristics that would, that would be perpetrated upon the Lord because of who he was as the Son of God, as the one who came, the Messiah of God. And, uh, and the misinformed and ignorant, uh, ignorance of man to perpetrate even more evil and more sin against one that God sent among them who was supposed to be a savior, but to them, he was a threat. And so they were very much in agreement with Rome to do whatever Rome wanted to do, which meant that Jesus would be scourged, and which meant also that there would be this crown of thorns that would be uh, woven together and put upon the head of Jesus. And, and uh, these thorns, of course, would be a very a cruel mocking of a king for a king was to wear a crown but in the case of Jesus uh, it was it would be a, a a crown of sorrow that he would have to wear now we have to remember that behind this whole thing is that Jesus willingly suffered all these things on our behalf in fact, we find later in the passage that Jesus told Pilate, you, could not even, you do not even have the authority to do these things except God give it to you. You know, he kind of bragged a little bit, said, oh, I, can, I can kill you if I want to. I can crucify you. I can do it. Aren't you going to be a little bit afraid of me and try to, to avoid this? And, and basically Jesus just told him, you don't have the, the right or the authority to do anything except God give it to you except another give it to you. And of course he was referring to his own heavenly father. And so we find that Jesus bears these, these humiliations. And so they put the crown of thorns on his head and they put on him a purple robe. And of course we know that the purple collar is a royal collar. And it was something reserved for those who were kings to have crowns, to have a crown and to have a robe, a royal robe, was something reserved for kings. And Jesus was being mocked in a very cruel way. And if that were not enough, we find in verse 3, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Now, of course, these things would not be done to a, a real king. One would not mock a true king. One would not mock and put upon uh, the head of a true king a sorrowful-looking crown of thorns, nor place upon him a mocking robe, nor, nor mock him with words, nor sm or strike him, strike that person who is, 
who is a, a true Lord of others, uh, one would not do that. And so this can only be perpetrated by the evil hearts of men. This can only be within the depths of depravity to which man allows himself to be dragged and to be um, overcome with that he might perpetrate even more the shame and the reproach upon others who do not deserve it. And certainly Christ did not deserve it. Secondly, we see that Pilate said, Behold the man. And uh, this is another one of those phrases that we, we find that stands out here in the Scriptures. So in verse 4, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. So here is another a mo- a mockery which is done against Jesus. To, to uh, label Jesus as the very one. It is like saying, okay, this is the person you wanted to destroy. This is the person you want killed. I placed the crown upon his head as a royal king, I, but it is a crown of thorns. I placed a robe upon him, but he is not royal in your eyes. And now he has been scourged and he has been mocked and he has been struck. And he stands before you, this pitiful human being. This is the man. This is the one they call the king of the Jews. The extent of the mockery really goes well beyond um, the situation, of course, because we know that man uh, loves to defy God and is rebellious against God. And so this uh, humiliation here is one which is very terrible indeed. Is very terrible to to do this to to publicly humiliate. Um, you know, we might think of somebody being punished, and and uh, in the in the punishment, it, it, it might be severe. It, it might even be uh, terrible, and and. But to bring him out into public, to bring that same person out in public and publicly humiliate the person as well. Um, perhaps you have had somebody, you, have you ever done anything and somebody pointed out your, your error? And how that it kind of made it so much worse? When somebody did that, maybe you got a speeding ticket, you know, and it's kind of like one of those things. Oh, I didn't, I didn't really didn't mean to go over the speed limit, right? So I was going in the 30 mile an hour zone, and I was doing 37, and uh, and the cops stopped me, and and then somebody found out about it, and they began to tell it around at church, maybe, or or tell your friends about it, and all of a sudden you felt like about two inches tall and the humiliation of it all of a sudden I mean who is uh, going to brag about having a speeding ticket you're not going to do that right in fact you probably would just assume nobody else knew about it you could just pay the fine and get it behind you and uh, try to live out your embarrassment maybe a little but you know 
Here is Jesus, they publicly take him out into, unto the very people who hated him. They publicly take him out there. Now we have to realize that the significance of this is to capital, capitalize on that very thing concerning Christ, that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that they esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. And this, the, the whole humility of the whole thing is quite terrible. It's quite terrible. Nobody wants to have their, their, uh, to be so humiliated. Um, you know, did it matter to Jesus? Well, that's what he came, he came to do. He came to suffer and, and to die for the sins of the world. He came to be humiliated. Yes, every part of what took place, if we believe what the scripture has to say, was done on our behalf. It's like we should have been there and we should have received that humiliation and that pain and suffering and sorrows and grief that God placed upon his son. But we didn't have to do that. Rather, it was Jesus who bore all these things for us. And he bore these things willingly. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In verse 6, when the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Well, Pilate wanted to be rid of this problem. He didn't want to have to go. He says, Isn't it enough that I've scorched him? Isn't it enough that I've mocked him? Isn't it enough that I put a crown upon his head and a false robe upon his back and that I have hum publicly humiliated him? Isn't, and I'm now I've given you the authority to go and crucify him if you want to, but still they did not want to get their hands dirty. They wanted somebody else to do it. They wanted someone else to do it. And we find that Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Okay, I've done my part, he says. I've, I've, I've done, I, I have completely humiliated this man in front of you and, and in his person, and I find no fault in him. Why don't you just take him and do what you want to with him? The Jews answered him, we have no, we have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Of course they're talking about blasphemy there. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid that, uh, that he might be doing something against one who was called the Son of God. Now, now that, that is, um, we, we should also perhaps keep in context the cultural element to Pilate. He was a Greek, after all, a Roman, 
He did believe in gods, mythological or otherwise. He believed in them. Well, there wasn't any country that didn't have some god or other. Or multiple gods. Pluralities of gods. And they did believe in them. They, they did uh, do worship unto these gods. Well, nobody wanted to violate the god. Their god. You violate your god and you're in big trouble, right? And so Pilate may have had his his uh, little, little idiosyncrasies about doing something against one they called a god, or he called a god. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Uh, well, you know, fear is something that, that uh, those who do not believe in God or do not know the true God, they have a real sense of fear about life. They don't want to violate the karma, you know, <laughs> as we, as we might, they might use that term today. You violate your karma and, and you, it's going to come back and haunt you. It's going to come back and bite you. That's, that's what they usually say. Life is going to come back and bite you if you do harm against somebody. And so, uh, yeah, Pilate had his own little hang-ups and he did not want to um, get into any trouble with God. Verse 9, and went again into the judgment hall and saith unto Jesus, From where art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. So he had to go back and ask Jesus, Well, exactly who are you? Who are you anyway? They say that you claim to be the Son of God. Who are you anyway? And see, Pilate is unsure. Uh, he, he does not know. He is, he is an unsaved man. Uh, out of has no true fear of the living God, but he is very much concerned that he might do something to violate his own conscience before a God, whatever God it might be. He did not want to violate his conscience before that that God. Verse ten. Then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not? Thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? So Pilate thinks he's really got the upper hand here over the situation. And so he's exercising his authority, uh, kind of putting himself out there a bit against Jesus. And uh, almost face it, uh, you got this, you got this person in front of you, they've done everything they could to the person, um, and uh, you happen to be the, the big man on the block, uh, nobody's going to tell you what to do and what not to do. So he's just exercising his authority, and he thinks Jesus is somehow going to cave in, perhaps. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Well, so who has the greatest sin? And it sounds like those Jewish officials have the greatest sin. Pilate is put, a lot of blame is put on Pilate, and he deserves his part in the whole thing, for sure. But Jesus says, you cannot do a thing to me except it was given to you from above. And then he places the blame on those who are crying out to crucify him. And by the way, those were his own people. Remember what John says at the beginning of the book. 
He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, he gave the power to be called the sons of God. But he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And those same people are the ones who are standing outside, crying out, crucify him, desiring to kill the Son of God. The same people who did not recognize that Jesus was the true Messiah, that Jesus was the true Savior, that Jesus was the one who had come sent by the Father into the world, that should be heralded and hailed with hosannas from on high. But instead, we find that the depravity of the human nature, though it be so religious, the depravity of the human nature, though it be so religious, is ready to kill and to crucify the Son of God. This is the stark reality the contrast between good and evil being shown here. Jesus is the embodiment of everything that is good and right and just and holy and that he was sent by God, conceived of the Holy Spirit of God in the womb of Mary, born into this world that he might show himself the fulfillment of the law, the fulfillment of all righteousness, and evil was perpetrating itself in the most cruel fashion that it might destroy the Son of God. The greater sin lay upon those who had delivered Jesus unto Pilate. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend, Whosoever maketh him a friend, uh, make himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. So now the Jews seek to use a little political intrigue against Pilate. It's almost like they can say, well, if you don't crucify him and he calls himself a king, then you are no friend of your king, your Caesar. And so, um, all of a sudden, what, what, the political leg, what do they call it today? Call it political capital. Uh, maybe Pilate was, was saying, oh, I've got to preserve my political capital with the Caesar. Because if I don't, then I may lose face with Caesar and I may lose my position. Worse yet, I might be brought before Caesar, and I don't know what he's going to do to me. You see, when, when, polit when politicians are, are pushed into the corner, the first thing they want to do is save their political life. And we find a lot of that going on, don't we? People, politicians love to save their own political career. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go... Thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew Gabbatha. 
So he brought him into this judgment hall and he wanted to have another little chat with Jesus about this whole thing. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And so let's see if we can just re-address this issue. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Now this is the ultimate betrayal against the culture and, and uh, politic of their own Jewish government is to call Caesar their king. Um, this was, no, that was not something that uh, uh, any, any true patriot, loyal patriot would do. But they were, of course, uh, appealing to Caesar's uh, soft side and they wanted to appear to be a friend of Caesar, just as they were appealing to Pilate to be a friend of Caesar and crucify Jesus. So, um, like most religious and political schemes, sometimes the weight shifts back and forth. If, the, if, the, if, if a religious uh, group finds itself politically in an advantage to go for the political side, sometimes they'll shift to the political side. And in other words, um, they weren't really being true to God at all, were they? The Jews weren't really being true to God. They, they, they had no other... If it was a true theocracy, God was their true leader. And uh, there would be no earthly king but the one that God anointed to be king. Uh, we remember back in the days of the book of Kings. And when Samuel anointed the first king, and uh, only the anointed were kings over Israel. And now here's the Jewish people saying Caesar is their king. Yeah, no, they just shifting politically here for the uh, for the moment, and so uh, we find that Jesus was in a very uh, precarious situation indeed. Uh, thirdly, Jesus is led away bearing his cross. It has come to that ultimate place. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Now, we, I guess we're all so familiar with this particular scene of Jesus being led away. Typically, it's down the Via della Rosa that they refer to in Jerusalem, and, and he is carrying his cross beam upon his back. And because of his... Uh, sufferings and sorrows and uh, the lacerations and the weakening of his human body, uh, we find that a certain man, Simon of Cyrene, is uh, appointed to carry his cross beam for him and lead him on to Golgotha, uh, the place of the skull, which of course is uh, typically described as just a high rocky um, 
manifestation of, of a rock face that is skull-like in appearance, but where they would, they would crucify Jesus and the other two with him. So where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now this, of course, becomes significant too, doesn't it? And it is part of that fulfillment of the scripture that identifies Jesus as the King of the Jews. Now he was, in fact, he was, in fact, not only the Son of God, but he could literally be called the King of the Jews because he was of the line and lineage of David. And we know that prophetically, ultimately, this would lead to a time when there would be such a king that would be upon the throne of David once again, yet in the distant future, perhaps. But Jesus would reign, rule and reign, over the nations during the 1,000 year reign of Christ called the millennium. But Jesus had this plaque placed upon his cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, and Greek and Latin. So these three languages really covered the, uh, the whole cultural diversity of the people. Uh, Latin, of course, the Romans, the Hebrew, the naturally the Jewish people, and the Greek as well of the Gentiles, nations. And so we find that these uh, three would cover anyone who would come through that region and would look and see what was being witnessed at that time concerning Christ. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, and every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. So... This next portion, of course, does fall into, again, the prophetic fulfillment of what they did, that they cast lots upon the garments of Christ. And when it came to the robe, which they could not separate or, or rip because it would destroy it, uh, they cast lots for that, and one person would end up with it. And the scene is rather pitiful, isn't it, that a person who is so decimated by crucifixion and execution is now being um, parted away uh, upon the whim of soldiers who take the very last vestige of their possessions and uh, claim them. Uh, again, I was, uh, I was watching this documentary and we typically see Christ upon the cross with his arms spread wide and the, the nails piercing through his, his hands, which was no doubt the case. Um, but when it comes to the feet, um, it may have been different, but uh, there is some evidence now 
that uh, through various crucifixions that were discovered and nails that were taken out of the bodies, uh, the bones of the, of the people who were crucified, that sometimes they crucified them through the ankle. In other words, they would place the two sides, the, the two legs on either side of the beam as the upright beam, and that they would nail through the ankle into the side of the beam rather than what we commonly see as a nail down through the arch of the foot into a, a uh, platform on the cross. And it is believed that this particular form of crucifixion supported the weight of the individual while they were hanging there uh, and the whole, I suppose, the whole mechanics of the crucifixion um, could be carried out more rigidly if the body was stable upon the cross. But we find that um, as they crucified him, the soldiers again carried out this, this mockery um, of parting his possessions and fulfilling scripture. Verse 24, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, I'm not going to go and try to look up those things for you, because it's take a little bit of time to do that, and you can do that. You have Bible reference Bibles, and you're able to go see those for yourself. But these things being fulfilled as they did, as in the book of Isaiah and in the Psalms, whether it be Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, and even some other passages of Scripture and some of the minor prophets. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. It's interesting that these women continued to be very loyal and compassionate toward Christ. They were not scared away. You know, today, you know, sometimes we get the idea women are so squeamish that, you know, they wouldn't be around anybody who was bleeding and carrying on with such, such sorrows and sufferings as the Lord was. But this shows, really, a true compassionate heart of these who knew Christ. And these were women. And we should remember the significant role that these women played. It was a very significant role that God allowed them to, to fulfill, that we might see how important it is that women should be known as godly women. And they, they truly were godly women who loved the Lord. Right to the very end, they loved the Lord. The first back at the tomb after the resurrection, by the way, as well. So, so these uh, that came, um, whom John lists here, uh, very significant to their loyalty to Christ. Verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now, of course, 
the disciple whom he loved, uh, being John, as we know he is John the Beloved, and um, he is there, and we find that Jesus then uh, says to uh, his mother, Mother, behold your son, and we find that uh, Jesus uh, cared enough to say to his mother, there is someone here who loved me and will love you too, and I want you to go and stay in his home and be cared for. And so uh, that is a very compassionate moment as well, a very intimate moment. (coughs) Then saith he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now uh, accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, and we'll note that particular phrase being significant, that the scripture might be fulfilled, all things, so all of these things were being perpetrated against Jesus were so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And so, as much as we perhaps don't like to look upon the scene in a, in a manner of entertainment, you know, I, I don't know, I, I never could watch the movie that came out recently, back several years ago, concerning the crucifixion of Christ. The one that, the passion of Christ, the one that was so widely acclaimed. I don't know, I just couldn't bring myself to watch it because I, I felt like, well, they're, they're, this is an entertainment to people. Somehow it's, it's like an, a sideshow attraction. We can go and see how bad it really was. Well, I guess I really don't have to go watch a movie to know how bad it really was. I, I get the gist of it pretty much by reading what the Bible has to say. It isn't one of those scenes that we love to dwell upon because we get some kind of entertainment out of it. We look upon it with great sorrow and soberness and consideration that God, God who loved us so much, sent his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins. And it was not a pretty death. It was not anything to be enjoyed. And I I have a difficulty watching it for that reason, I guess. But anyway, um, now Jesus has finally come to that place where... He is ready to give up the spirit to uh, allow God to to end after this is the scripture might be fulfilled. And he says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and filled a sponge with vinegar and put upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now I understand this is some kind of sour wine wine vinegar that was given to him. It was not the previous type where it had some kind of gall in it or something that's supposed to help with the pain. This was this was not that. And so there is nothing diminished in the sufferings of Christ, in other words, because of what he took in this. No, Jesus fulfilled all suffering on our behalf. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. 
And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. It is finished. And the, the, the word there, telestai, is that one which means it is, it is fully finished, complete, without reservation, God fulfilled all for us in his sufferings upon the cross, in his sufferings. There isn't really anything man can add to what happened, except to say what the Bible already tells us, and hope that each of us understand as much as we are able to the extent of his sorrows, his humiliation, his uh, pain and anguish that he went through on our behalf. For we understand the Son of God who took upon himself human flesh bore in his body our sin and fulfilled all righteousness for us that he might be known as the Son of God, the one who is called the Lamb of God and taketh away the sin of the world. These things are true because God has given us the revelation of them. These things are true because God has revealed them in his word. These things are true and are not able to be disputed. They are the truth of our salvation and of the true, the true redemption that's through the blood of Christ. And I suppose though we go through the reading and the and explanation of these things in some small way, we shall not know fully all until we get to heaven. It is enough that God has done these things for us. And we see Jesus and we look upon Jesus and we live believing in Jesus as the Son of God. And, and understand this, there is no pictures of Jesus. We only look upon Jesus by faith. Faith, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. There is no picture of him, but the one that the scriptures describe for us. And they describe his sorrows and his sufferings and his ultimate crucifixion for us, the Son of God who died for the sins of the world. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. As for your blessing, Father, help us to see these things by faith. Help us to understand and know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is given to us because of what Christ did throughout his life and ministry and his ultimate death upon the cross for us. We praise you, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me.